I thank God for all who have led us in worship today, and we continue a sermon series called Give Me Jesus. We're looking at various passages about Christ and the Gospels, and today we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and the title of the sermon today is A Taste of Heaven. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you ever known someone who just loves to eat? We all have to eat, but some of us love to eat. You know, the skinniest kid on the team that'll inhale three burgers in eight minutes. The college student that's always watching the Food Network and aspires to be a restaurant critic. The grandmother that loves nothing more than getting all her family members around the dinner table for a holiday meal. Some people love to eat. These are the folks who get up from lunch already thinking about what they want for dinner. These are the folks who are far more interested in tailgating than the game. These are folks who cannot remember one single detail of the wedding ceremony, but can tell you every single finger food that was served at the reception. Some people love to eat. At one church I served, there was a man named Fields. Fields was one of the finest Christian men I've ever known, and he loved to eat. He was always getting a group of us together to go eat somewhere. And in the weeks leading up to it, whenever I would see him, he would say, where do you want to go eat? And we'd talk about restaurant options. The next time I'd see him, he'd say, now what are you going to get? And I'd tell him some foods I was thinking about getting, and he'd tell me the foods that he was thinking about getting, and he'd be rubbing his hands together as we talked, you know. The day of the meal, fields would be filled with joy as friends and family gathered around the table. I think he enjoyed the fellowship even more than 
the food. He'd laugh and talk and tell stories. And he'd tell us to make sure we got enough to eat before we left. Then in the following couple of weeks, whenever I would see Fields, he would talk about how much he enjoyed the meal and how we would have to do it again sometime. In all of this, Fields reflected the way of Jesus. Did you know Jesus loved to eat? I think it was more about the fellowship than the food. But Jesus never seemed to pass up a meal. It's uncanny how many times in the Gospels we find Jesus eating. He eats at Levi's house. He eats at Zacchaeus's house. He eats at Simon the Pharisee's house. He eats at another Pharisee's house. He eats at a Jewish leader's house. He feeds 5,000. He feeds 4,000. Even after dying on the cross and rising from the grave, he still loves to eat. He walks the road to Emmaus with two disciples and then joins them at the table. He shows the disciples his hands and his feet and then eats a broiled fish right there in front of them. <laughs> While Jesus ate with many different people in many different places, he especially loved to eat with sinners. In Mark 2, we are told three times in two verses that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors exacted tolls from their own Jewish people on behalf of the Roman government. Tax collectors had to pay Rome a certain amount, and whatever they collected beyond that went into their pockets. Since tax collectors made their living by overcharging, they were widely ostracized as shameless traitors, shady swindlers, and unscrupulous scammers. One ancient piece of literature listed tax collectors in parallel with murderers and robbers. One ancient rabbinic teaching said, if a tax collector entered a house, the whole house became unclean. The Pharisees considered tax collectors ritually impure due to the dishonesty of their profession. And yet Jesus made a habit of eating with tax collectors. Sinners were flagrant transgressors of God's holy law. In Mark's gospel, the term sinners does not describe garden variety wrongdoers, but rather the most unsavory violators of God's will. Bible scholar Joel Marcus suggests that they are practitioners of the sins listed in Mark 7, such as immorality, murder, theft, and so on. This crowd was better suited for the Department of Corrections than dinner with the king. And yet, Jesus made a habit of eating 
with sinners. In summary, tax collectors and sinners were considered despicable crooks, villainous wretches, ungodly scoundrels, religious outcasts, and social pariahs. As much as Jesus loved to eat, did he not know that eating with these people could jeopardize his ritual purity? Did he not know he could be defiled by contact with them? Did he not know they might try to rub off on him? Did he not know that a man is known by the company he keeps? Indeed, table fellowship carried profound symbolic meaning back then. Historian Scott Barchi writes that the first century meal symbolized friendship, intimacy, and unity. No wonder people were offended by Jesus' habit of dining with tax collectors and sinners. No wonder they were aghast in Luke 15 saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And no wonder they were accusing him in Matthew 11 saying, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. As much as Jesus loved to eat, Fellowship meant even more than the food. In light of all this, the question the scribes pose in Mark 2.16 is totally valid. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he associate with such a sketchy crowd? Why does he sully his reputation by hanging out with such shady characters? Why does he give so much time, attention, and energy to eating with transgressors? It appears that sharing a common table was part of how Jesus revealed God's mercy. Eating meals with them was a way to extend God's love, God's hospitality, and God's grace. It was also how Jesus showed them and demonstrated to them and enacted among them the kingdom of heaven. You see, when Jesus pictured heaven, he saw a joyful gathering at a welcome table with a mouth-watering spread. He had read Isaiah 25, which promises that one day the Lord will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, and he will swallow up death forever. In Matthew 22, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. In Luke 13, he describes heaven as a place where people will come from east and west, north and south, and will sit at the table. By eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus was anticipating God's ultimate 
kingdom. Jesus was dramatizing God's final reign. Jesus was enacting God's dominion on earth. And he was giving the unrighteous a taste of heaven. He explains, after all, that he came to call not the righteous, but sinners. That's why he ate with them. As a physician attends to persons who are unhealthy, Jesus attends to persons who are unrighteous. He was not endorsing their sin. He was embracing their souls. He was not condoning misdeeds. He was conferring mercy. He was not approving wrongdoing. He was applying grace. Many people looked at tax collectors and sinners and saw irredeemable scum. But Jesus looked at tax collectors and sinners and saw potential disciples. The facile, conventional approach was to view tax collectors and sinners as categorically bad and Pharisees and scribes as categorically good. Yet Jesus saw in sinners the potential for goodness and saw in the righteous evidence of sinfulness. And he saw in everybody the opportunity for fellowship. Turns out Jesus resists the rules of polarization. According to social and spiritual standards, the Pharisees and scribes were on one side of the spectrum and the tax collectors and sinners were on the other. The working assumption was that you pick one side, you keep your distance from the other, and you don't fraternize with the enemy. Yet Jesus eats at Levi the tax collector's house in Mark 2 and he eats at Simon the Pharisee's house in Luke 7. Jesus eats at Zacchaeus, the tax collector's house, in Luke 19. And he eats at a Pharisee's house in Luke 14. He goes back and forth between the table of the unrighteous and the table of the self-righteous. He goes back and forth between rival tables, not so much for the food as for the fellowship. In doing so, he does not endorse everything the sinners and tax collectors say and do, nor does he endorse everything that the Pharisees and the scribes say and do. But he shows he's willing to eat a meal with anybody and everybody. He's willing to fellowship with whosoever will. That's how he ended up with his ragtag group of disciples. He ate with them, too. In fact, on the night before he died, he gathered the twelve in the upper room for a special Passover meal where, again, Jesus found himself eating with tax collectors 
and to sinners. He sat down to eat with Matthew, a tax collector. He sat down to eat with Judas, who would betray him. He sat down to eat with Peter, who would deny him. He sat down to eat with James and John, who selfishly wanted special treatment and glory. He sat down to eat with a bunch of other guys that would run for the hills right when he needed them most. And still, he gave them a taste of heaven. He said to them in the upper room, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. People often call this meal the Last Supper. But with all due respect to Leonardo da Vinci, it wasn't. Jesus has been eating with sinners ever since. When we gather for the Lord's Supper, the risen Christ comes to dine with us in a spiritual way, a mysterious way, a powerful way, much as he dined with the two disciples after walking the road to Emmaus with them. The living Christ joins us at the table to extend to us God's love, God's hospitality, and God's grace. He joins us at the table to give us a taste of heaven. When I was growing up, we always had a big Thanksgiving dinner at my grandparents' house in Charlotte. During the day, we'd play ball outside or watch the parade inside or just visit with one another as the cooks worked in the kitchen to prepare a delectable feast. They had fixed turkey, dressing, ham, broccoli casserole, green beans, rice and gravy, fruit salad, potato salad, congealed salad, rolls, chocolate pound cake, almond pound cake, this amazing chocolate eclair dessert, and all kind of other stuff. The aroma from the kitchen was so sensational that it always made me hungry long before it was time to eat. So I'd peek my head into the kitchen and say, hey, when's dinner going to be ready? In a little while, honey, in a little while. So I'd go play for a while. Then I'd come back into the kitchen, you know, and say, hey, is dinner ready yet by chance? No, in a little while, in a little while. So I'd go play and hang out. About the third or fourth trip into the kitchen, just so I could check on the progress of the meal, my grandmother would smile at me and she'd say, if you need a little something to hold you over, try a bite of this turkey. And I would sink my teeth into that juicy, tender, flavorful turkey that they were cooking. My mom would say, here, try a bite of this potato salad and see if it needs more salt. And I'd taste mom's famous potato salad that would be absolutely delicious. 
Those are some of my favorite memories from Thanksgiving growing up. Those times when I got a small taste of the big meal ahead of time. When I got a little something to hold me over. When I got a foretaste to remind me that the big feast would be well worth the wait. That's what Jesus' meal ministry was. A small taste of the big meal ahead of time. And that's what the Lord's Supper is. A foretaste of the feast to come. That's what the Lord's Supper is. An appetizer of the great banquet God is preparing for us. That's what the Lord's Supper is. A holy hors d'oeuvre before the main course is served. That's what the Lord's Supper is. An anticipation of the great feast in glory. That's what the Lord's Supper is. A little something to hold us over until dinner is ready. That's what the Lord's Supper is. A time to look forward to the kingdom even as we look back to the cross that's what the Lord's Supper is a little taste of heaven here on earth to remind us that the big meal will be well worth the wait Amen